This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, you're listening to House of Cards. Today, the game is different. I want to gamble. Gambling is a very serious business. Is that clear? Welcome to House of Cards. Dave Weishelder with you here deep from the swamps of Jersey. we got a great show coming up for you. A lot of people out there, like myself, consider themselves sports fans. But did you ever sit back and think about what that means? And how does being a fan affect my life overall and affect my relationships in life? Well, now a new book has just come out to explore what being a sports fan means and how it affects how you live your life. The book is called Fans Have More Friends, written by Ben Valenta and David Sikoriak. It's a really incredible book and makes you think about fandom in a completely different way. When we come back, we're talking about sports fans with Ben Valenta and David Sikoriak. So stick around. We'll be right back with House of Cards. Hey, this is Dave Weishato from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of April 24th, 2023. The Cordish Company announced an agreement to acquire Diamond Jack's Casino and Hotel in Bossier City, Louisiana. Cordish intends to develop the property into its live casino resort and entertainment destination and replace the existing riverboat casino with a land-based casino. The property in Louisiana has been closed since March of 2020. An Alabama church has shut its doors permanently after its secretary embezzled money for gambling purposes. Carmen Raymer pled guilty to embezzling over $89,000 from the Brooklyn Congressional Methodist Church, much of which was spent on gambling trips. Federal prosecutors said that the money that was gambled away was done in Alabama and Mississippi casinos. And finally, the historic Cal Neva Resort will be reopening under new management. The famous Lake Tahoe Resort was built in 1926 and was bought by Frank Sinatra in 1960. Once reopened, the resort will offer its guests a premier spa and wellness experience, dining and entertainment options, a hotel, as well as a brand new casino. Sinatra would be proud. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gaming, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow us on Twitter at HOC Radio. House of Cards is brought to you by Drizzly, your online liquor store. Available in over 95 cities across North America, Drizzly offers a huge selection and competitive pricing with a side of personalized content. Now there's no need to leave the house. Get alcohol delivered in less than an hour by Drizzly. Head on over to drizzly.com and order today. And now get $5 off your first order of $20 or more when using promo code DRINK19 at checkout. Shop beer, wine, and liquor with drizzly.com. You're listening to House of Cards. Where was the house? Where was the house of cards? (laughs) 
Welcome back to House Cards. Dave Weishaddle with you. I know a lot of people who listen to the show, whether it be on the radio or on a podcast, consider themselves a sports fan. But have you ever stopped and thought about what being a fan means and how it affects our life and our relationships? Well, a new book is out that explores what it means to be a fan, and it's really interesting. It's called Fans Have More Friends, written by Ben Valenta and David Sikoriak. And we have the authors of this great book on the line. Ben and David, thanks for coming on. Oh, Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Uh, yeah, but congratulations. It's an absolutely fascinating book, and you two certainly have the background and experience to write a book. What are your backgrounds, and what are your experiences in the sports world? Well, we've spent the last you know, 10 or 12 years uh, together kind of working on separate uh, career paths, but, but in the sports universe. And, and, and you know, over that time, we've, we've intersected, um, those paths have intersected, and and. You know, I started off as a consultant working in, um, you know, brand strategy, consumer insights, and I spent a lot of time working on ESPN, uh, NBC News, MSNBC, which is where I met Dave. Um, and then when he went to Madison Square Garden and worked for the Knicks and the Rangers, we started kind of delving into the, the world of the Knicks and the Rangers. And then for the last seven years, I, I transitioned out of consulting in, into a position at, at Fox Sports. Um, and, and then Dave transitioned out of uh, being at MSG working in the Knicks and the Rangers and into consulting. And I've been hiring him uh, since then. And so we've, we've really been, we've taken the, the experience that we had at the Knicks and the Rangers. And then prior to that, you know, in media, especially sports media at ESPN. And then we, we've, we've kind of done the deep dive and spent the last six, six or so years, seven years, um, really focused on the world of sports uh, at Fox Sports. I'm very curious, what inspired you to write this book? I mean, everyone, a lot of people I know, including myself, consider themselves a sports fan. Uh, up until I read your book, I didn't think too deeply about the concept. However, after reading Fans Have More Friends, I, I'm starting to think of it in a different way. I'm just curious what motivated both of you to write this book. Yeah, I think we were we were studying sports fans for so long. It's been you know, documented going from the Knicks and Rangers um, um, to Fox Sports. And we felt we had a story to tell. Like there, there was, there was early on, there was this insight to be a fan is to be part of a community. We developed this when we were at Madison Square Garden, and we were sitting on it for a while and saw it manifest in different contexts. Whether we were studying NFL fans, MLB fans, uh, the World Cup in 2018, and people who were following that, um, and you know, we, we were we were sitting on this treasure trove of insight. And didn't we, you know, we're not writers, um, so to speak, or we've never written a book or published anything prior to this. And we, we want to get this story out. And, and part of what we wanted to get out was we had a different, there was a, there's a cultural conception of what a sports fan is and it, which is largely negative or fatuous yeah. or, you know, you know, bro-ish. And we want to switch it because what we were seeing in our, you know, as approaching and understanding why people do what they do and, we apply that to sports, so it's understanding why fans do what they do. We saw that it was actually relationships that were mm -hmm. incentivizing the behavior. So we, we were left with, you know, back before the pandemic of testing, we, we had this hypothesis, well, if this is true, that incentive, uh, social relationships incentivize the fan behavior, then fans should have more friends. Their social mm -hmm. infrastructure um, should be more robust. And we developed a way to, you know, we, we design surveys all the time. And we, we designed, uh, designed a way to measure your engagement as a fan and your kind of the number of friends you have, your social infrastructure. And what we saw back um, in 2019, and it, it still exists in the surveys we run today, that the more engaged of a sports fan you are, the more friends you have. And it, it you know, goes from there. You interact with those friends more. You value those relationships. And that, that same holds true for family. You, are, you report being closer, the bigger fan you are, the closer you will be report being to your mother, your father, to your spouse, to your kids, and so on. So with all this, it's like we have a story. That we have a, like a different conception of a way to think about sports fandom that mm -hmm. is largely social. And then when you play that out, which is what the book is about, um, those benefits really extend um, beyond just you have somebody to hang out with on Sunday. And, and I think that's the, that's, you know, the original question is why did we and how we were inspired to write a book. You know, I think we came to this new insight about what motivates fans to be fans. Mm -hmm. um, but if you flip that just slightly, it's really about what are the benefits that fans enjoy as a result of their fandom? Um, like those two, the, you know, basically saying the same thing with those two statements. It just depends on how you look at the situation. And what we found was 
it's not just that this insight is interesting about, you know, fandom being social. Like that, that's, you know, that works, you know, especially like in my business, like that, that works for us as, as people that operate in this sports industry. Mm -hmm. um, but where we went from an interesting insight for in industry professionals to this should actually be a book was there are an incredible set of benefits that fans enjoy as a result of all this additional socializing. So fans have more friends, they engage with people more frequently, they value those relationships more as Dave just uh, said, but as a result of all that socializing, they're also happier. They're mm -hmm. more satisfied with their life. They're more grateful. They're more engaged in their communities. They're more likely to give to charity. They're more likely to be registered to vote. Um, all of these, these things that, we, that are objectively positive, these mm -hmm. wellness markers, they also correlate with fandom because fandom inspires so much socialization. And that's when we realized we were actually onto something big here um, it's not just a way to unlock insights for the business to 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 leverage when it when it comes to fandom, but really it's a way for uh, we we want to do is advocate fans. We want to exhort fans to embrace their fandom because it's good for them, it's it's good for others, and it's good for society. You know, I I love the fact that you give the two building blocks of fandom, and and I never thought of it like that before, and that is passion and action. I mean, I, I also love the example you gave uh, from Seinfeld, Elaine's boyfriend, the big New Jersey Devils fan who was the face painter and scared the hell out of a priest on the street. I mean, I, I've never painted my face or I've never gone to a game with someone who painted their face. But I, I just love the way you explain fandom, the two building blocks, passion and action. And, and I also like the fan value score that you use in your research. Can you talk a little bit about that and what it meant for your research? Yeah, so and this gets into the weeds of mm -hmm. survey methodology and how yeah. you design it and how do you get reliable results. And for a while before developing this method, we were struggling with just capturing, you know, how engaged of a fan. And, you know, you know, we, we share anecdotes of when I, we were at the Nixon Rangers of just, you know, we would recruit focus groups and sure. people would say they were Rangers fans and you know, like they're not Rangers fans. I, it's it was just clear and but you know there's a you know a way that you know the research firms reach out to people and try to find people and it's it, it wasn't effective so we were we were set on a mission to like how do we how do we define fans and really it was just breaking down what what constitutes a fan because you you ask people like oh he's a big fan i'm a big fan she does this and uh, there, there's all sorts of like parts of our language that we use to describe that it's actually from a, a research standpoint are not helpful at all so we wanted to like break this down and, you know, we, the standard kind of survey approach to this is ask how passionate of a fan you are, or are you an avid fan or a casual fan or not really a fan? And that's not helpful. Stick around. We'll be right back with more House of Cards. The sports betting community is back live in New Jersey at the Meadowlands Expo Center this May 9th through the 11th with the SBC Summit North America. For three days, SBC Summit North America brings together exhibitors, world-class hospitality, and the very best networking and business opportunities to some of the most exclusive venues in New York and New Jersey. With panels and events on investment, marketing, regulation, and many more relevant topics to the sports betting industry, the SBC Summit North America provides an experience second to none. The SBC Summit North America is brought to you by the SBC, the largest media network in the sports betting industry. Join over 2,500 delegates, 200 speakers, and more than 50 exhibitors at SBC Summit North America, May 9th through the 11th at the Meadowlands Expo Center, New Jersey. Head over to sbcevents.com for more information on this year's conference and register today. SBC Summit North America, brought to you by the SBC, the largest media network in the sports betting industry. Don't miss out on the largest dedicated sports betting trade show in the world. Every 40 seconds, a kid is reported missing. Find the Children provides educational material that teaches your kids how to recognize and avoid predators. Our recovery programs are very successful in bringing kids back home to their family. You can help protect our kids and bring the missing kids home safe by donating your unwanted car, truck, SUV, or van. 
running or not. We guarantee you will receive the maximum tax deduction. We provide fast free pickup usually within 24 hours. Over 2,000 kids are reported missing every day. Call now to donate your vehicle. Donate now to bring these kids home safe. Call 800-706-6060-800-706-6060-800-706-6060. Auto Accident Help Desk is a marketing agency connecting callers with attorneys. Providers pay a fee for advertising services. I love getting my kids ready and driving them to school. But a careless driver can change your life in an instant. And insurance companies want to settle on the cheap. Auto Accident Help Desk connects victims with powerful lawyers. They fight for you. I called Auto Accident Help Desk and got help for my pain and suffering. Don't let an insurance company take advantage of you. Our attorneys fight and beat big insurance every day. Call 800-297-9766. 800-297-9766. If you've been injured in an automobile accident in the last six months, you owe it to yourself to make this free call with no obligation. We're available 24-7 to help you get the money you deserve for your pain and suffering. Auto Accident Help Desk helps accident victims like you every day. Call 800-297-9766. 800-297-9766. You're listening to House of Cards. Check out our website at houseofcardsradio.com. Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishaddle with you. This portion of House of Cards is brought to you by SCCG Management, delivering technology-driven capability expertise and customer and business value to the gaming industry for over 30 years. For more information, go to sccgmanagement.com. For those of you just joining us, I am talking with Ben Valenta and David Sikoria, authors of the book Fans Have More Friends. Sorry about that. Radio has to do with business, you know. Why don't you continue what you were saying before the break? So we wanted to dimensionalize what being a fan was. And we were using what we were seeing in kind of talking to people and doing focus groups and doing ethnographies and kind of putting those pieces together. So yeah, passion's an important piece of it, but that passion must lead to certain activities, certain Mm -hmm. action. And from our vantage point, you know, this was when we were, Ben's working at Fox Sports and I'm consulting for him, we were thinking of fans holistically, right? So one problem I had when I was at um, at Square Garden is I was thinking from a Knicks and Rangers standpoint. And what we decided is like, just go up from there and thinking of the sports ecosystem as a whole and really thinking of fans holistically and how they all these aspects of, the, of what they do around sports um, work together. So we, we put together this formula of kind of tracking in an in efficient way in surveys of the sports you follow, um, your passion for the sports and the activities you do in following those sports and trying to paint a holistic picture of the fan. Now, the test of that is when we do surveys for different, um, for, for different purposes, um, how, re- how consistent are the results? Um, when we, we can test it from time to time or um, look over time and trend these things. And what we found was this is as reliable of an indicator as we have found mm-hmm. in kind of separating fans from non-fans. And we use this for when we do uh, focus groups. We recruit people. We use the same score to get people into groups, and it works flawlessly um, every single time. And in terms of just in, in a survey um, landscape, it's, it's easy to execute. So we, we've been relying upon this now for three years plus, and uh, um, it is the foundation of how we kind of read the data um, that you'll see in the book. I have to say, reading the book, I, I just found out that I had some misconceptions about fandom. I mean, the, the first thing I, I read about in your book, and the one thing that really shocked me was collegiate sports and someone who's an alumni of a particular school and how that affected their fandom. Tell that story, because that, that, I, I, that was one of the first things that, like, wow, I was really wrong about this. When it comes to fans who are alumni versus fans of college sports, what did your research find? Because... That started off your book pretty shocking to me. Well, what we, you know, even just taking a, taking a step back from, from collegiate sports specifically, mm-hmm. just more broadly, our cultural conception of fandom usually is centered around the team, yeah. right? When we talk about fans, we think about fans in terms of like their association, their loyalty to a team. 
And this is particularly true with, with college sports, right? Yeah. Um, because there's a, there's a deep tie because, you know, oftentimes like the alum has gone to the school. There's a deep tie to a, a time in their life when they became a fan of that team, right? Mm-hmm. And that gives you that rooting interest. Yeah. And, and so that was our ingoing assumption to exploring the world of college football uh, was that it's really going to be about uh, people that went to that school. And that's why, you know, the Ohio State ratings are so much bigger or Michigan's ratings are so much bigger than some of these other schools because their fan base is just bigger because there's, there, there are larger institutions and there's more uh, alum of those schools. And so the, the, the population that they can draw from is bigger. Mm-hmm. And, and so we went in with that assumption and then we wound So we separated some focus groups into groups of people who went to football schools, Ohio state, Michigan, Nebraska, Colorado, so on and so forth. And then people who, who either didn't go to college or didn't, um, go to football schools, right? So a smaller liberal arts school, um, people that, you know, the, the schools that didn't have the big D1 programs. And what we found was kind of the opposite of what we expected. We expected the alumni of those big football schools to be the, the biggest college football fans that we encountered. Yeah. And what we actually found was that the people that, that didn't go to those football schools but were college football fans were the most engaged college football fans. They would sit down all day on a Saturday and just sort of pull up a chair and they were clued in and plugged in to the entirety of the, of the college football landscape. They're the ones that are plugged into watching the, you know, big noon kickoff and college game day uh, in the morning, kind of getting their day set. They're the ones that kind of have an opinion about various games and matchups across different conferences. They're the ones who are going to make sure that they watch all those marquee games across all those conferences, whether they affect their you know, favorite team or not, because they're, college football fans in a very holistic way, not just fans of the Ohio State Buckeyes. And, and so what that revealed to us was this, this framing of fandom as specifically a team-based thing is the wrong way to approach it. Mm-hmm. And, and then if you apply that same insight to other sports, I think it kind of helps um, you know, make it more, more, more real for people. You know, whatever sport you're involved in uh, or you're, you, know, you passionately follow, if you are uh, willing to watch a game, kind of no matter who is playing, Right. If you're willing to yeah. watch kind of the entirety of the NFL playoffs, give or take, because you're an NFL fan, um, that means you're, you're going to be a more engaged fan than if you just love the Las Vegas Raiders. Right. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I think that that's that sort of uh, framing is counter to our our current conception of it's really just about the team. And that's the thing that drives this this connection. Um, and what we recognize. And again, this, this kind of the word of the day is this holistic look, you know, when you think about fandom as something that's that's that goes beyond the team, mm-hmm. then it becomes this more holistic, almost like a lifestyle. Um, and, and that kind of helps us uh, understand this behavior to a greater degree. One of the great things about your book are the stories you tell about the individual fans. I mean, we, you mentioned Madison Square Garden. I, I love the story about Greg Armstrong, who was the New York Knicks fan. Certainly he loved the basketball team, but that led to other things and other relationships. When he went to the Garden to watch the Knicks, it seemed like he knew a lot of people there, the ushers, the fans, and it really created an amazing atmosphere or environment for Greg. Did you find that in your research that being a fan of a team leads to other relationships that you form in your life? 100%. That is the thing that's <laughs> happening. You are engaging. And, you know, if you take, like, the strip the sports out of it, what is actually happening is, you know, for Greg, he has an activity that he does yeah. 30 times a year that he has to, you know, peel out a night. He has to drive to a game, sit there interact with a set of different people, um, bring family along with him and make connections. And now he's done this activity for 30 years over that time, going to the same place around some of the similar people. And then some people changing, you're bound to make relationships. And the beauty of sports is it gives us something just neutral to talk about something fun. And so whether the Knicks are bad, which they've been bad for a long (laughs) time, um, it's still something to talk about, right? We often get the questions like, is this true for winning and losing teams? Or And it works across the board because whether it's 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 a bad outcome or, you know, you, you win the Super Bowl, you still have something to talk about. So all the all the interaction that being a Knicks fan creates are all opportunities for social connection. And when you do a lot of it, you just now have more social connections. And we you know, tell the story of Greg of just people in a section, people that work at the mm-hmm. garden. I mean, I, I worked at the garden, met him as a result. And every time I was at a game, I would, you know, I would, I would go find him. And I'm not the only one, right? And so then you multiply that by other people and across years, um, you just develop this robust social network that 
as a fan, you know, in me being a fan and in doing this research, it just, it, it dawned on me. It's like, I never realized it because this is happening unconsciously. Mm -hmm. you know, and the, the important thing about Greg's story is, so Greg's a, a New York Knicks season ticket holder, right? Yeah. It costs a lot of money and a, and a lot of time to be a New York Knicks season ticket holder. He is not an investment banker on Wall Street uh, pulling down millions, right? He manages a grocery store in Yonkers. Mm -hmm. um, so we come to this trying to understand the purchase decision for buying season tickets to the New York Knicks. And specifically, we're asking him, Greg, why do you do this? And why have you done this over this historically bad run, right? Like you, you've only had a couple of years yeah. of winning basketball. It's been really, really bad for a long time. And yet you fork out the money, you spend the time to get to a game. What is it about the Knicks and, 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 and like the season ticket, tickets that, that kind of makes you do it? Now, it, coming back to like what we were just talking about, the, the, like the team framing, he, he goes into this language of the team. Well, you got to support the team. It's about being loyal, yeah. all those things. And, and, and it's not to disparage like those, those things can be true. Um, the more we spent time with him, the more we understood kind of going like his process of going to the games, we realized, oh, he always goes. He has three sons, Dave, or four? Four sons. Four sons. He's always going to the game with one of the four sons, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Whenever he walks in the garden, as Dave, as Dave points out, he knows a bunch of people. He says hi. He knows everybody in his section, right? All of a sudden, you realize that the purchase decision, the reason he buys the tickets is because he's buying belonging. He's not buying entertainment product. He's not buying uh, tickets to a game. That's there, and it gives it, you know, it creates the context for the connection to happen. But what he's actually getting out of this is, you know, he estimates he's been to 500 games with his sons, right? Now, yeah. I'm a father. Dave's a father. For those listening, if you have time with your kids, like that is invaluable. Mm -hmm. and, and so all of a sudden it reframes this, this purchase decision from why would you buy tickets to watch bad basketball to why, of course, you would buy tickets to spend time with your son. And I think that that reframing really unlocked a lot of uh, this story for us because it really, I think, uh, it, it lays in a very stark relief the 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 actual goings-on of being a fan stick around we'll be right back with house of cards if you don't have final expense life insurance this message is for you LifeCare provides valuable information about whole life insurance to help cover final expenses, medical bills, burial costs, and other final expenses. A final expense life insurance policy is fast and available to anyone between the ages of 50 and 80. No medical exam, no lengthy questionnaires, and no waiting period. Just answer a few questions and we'll do the rest. With the average funeral costing $9,420 and Social Security only paying $255, you need simple peace of mind for you and your whole family. Don't leave behind unpaid expenses. Your premium will never increase. Your policy will have a cash value and a death benefit that can never decrease. To find out how you can get final expense life insurance with a lifetime lock, call LifeCare at 800-459-8822. That's 800-459-8822. Auto Accident Help Desk is a marketing agency connecting callers with attorneys. Providers pay a fee for advertising services. I love getting my kids ready and driving them to school. But a careless driver can change your life in an instant. And insurance companies want to settle on the cheap. Auto Accident Help Desk connects victims with powerful lawyers. They fight for you. I called Auto Accident Help Desk and got help for my pain and suffering. Don't let an insurance company take advantage of you. Our attorneys fight and beat big insurance every day. Call 800-297-9766. 800-297-9766. If you've been injured in an automobile accident in the last six months, you owe it to yourself to make this free call with no obligation. We're available 24-7 to help you get the money you deserve for your pain and suffering. Auto Accident Help Desk helps accident victims like you every day. Call 800-297-9766. 800-297-9766. 800-297-9766. Attention. 
If you owe back taxes to the IRS, the IRS is cracking down by hiring 87,000 new agents to garnish your paycheck and put liens on homes and businesses. They can even seize your bank account. The IRS calls it enforced compliance, and now they have the manpower to get you. Penalties and interest on unpaid taxes compound daily. So call One Stop Tax Relief Shop and get the IRS off your back. They're experts in the Fresh Start Initiative, one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. Call 800-353-2174. 800-353-2174. One Stop Tax Relief has resolved thousands of cases since 2014 and saved clients millions of dollars. Call now for a free consultation. Get the IRS off your back. Call 800-353-2174. Some people like knocking boots. How to do? While others get lucky. And some just get it on. No matter how you do it or what you call it, Adam and Eve makes your whoopee hot with 50% off almost any one sexy item. Just enter offer code BOOTS2 at checkout and get 50% off plus 10 free gifts, including free shipping. First, get busy with a gift for you. Shake the sheets with something exciting for them and hit a home run with a third item you'll both enjoy. Sounds like someone hit the sweet spot. Plus six free bonus gifts that'll make you say about chicka wow wow adam and eve is tapping that offer oh yeah with 50 percent off and 10 free gifts including free shipping use offer code b-o-o-t-s-2 at adamandeve.com now that's offer code boots2 boots2 at adamandeve.com you're listening to house of cards can you dig it can you dig it Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishaddle with you. House of Cards is brought to you by BetMGM Casino. Play your favorite casino games at BetMGM Online Casino. Slots, table games, live dealer games, everything you love about Atlantic City and Vegas, all online at BetMGM. Go to BetMGM Casino, create an account using our promo code TURNPIKE, and become a verified player. New players get $25 free when signing up, plus a first deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's promo code TURNPIKE at BetMGM.com for a 100% deposit match up to $1,000 plus $25 free. Must be 21 years or older to place a bet. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. For those of you just joining us, I am talking with Ben Valenta and David Sikoria, authors of the book, Fans Have More Friends. L- let me ask about that. I mean, did you find that being a fan was a great equalizer among people? I-, I mean, if you're a fan of the New York Yankees, it doesn't matter how much you earn or how much education you have. You can still talk to another fan about Aaron Judge or Aaron Boone or what's happening on the field. Does fandom become the common ground where people can build relationships? 100%. I mean, that is it. That, that's the beauty of it. You know, we can, as you know, and I'll say this as a Yankees fan, um, you know, we can <laughs> lament, uh, you know, the big relief of, yep. uh, of signing Aaron Judge. And then what are they going to do in left field? And do we have to watch Aaron Hicks and Josh Donaldson and IKF again? Um, all those things that, you know, Yankees fans um, struggle with. But that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about politics. We're not talking about the latest controversy or, you know, bad things happening out, out in the world. We're talking about something neutral and fun. And, you know, it, it allows us to almost be like kids again. And, you know, these things, these conversations are fun. They generally make us happy, even if we have disagreement. You know, I, I always share the anecdote of when we, when we do focus groups, we'll get a bunch of fans, they don't know each other, into a room. And, you know, we, the opening gambit is, you know, just like, like get to know you is tell me the teams you're 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 a fan of, and very, you know we'll, we'll go around the room and they'll they'll mention the teams, their you know players they follow or whatever, and most of the time a Cowboys fan appears. Um, and what does everyone else in the group do? 
they they mock them. They <laughs> they have fun with them. They 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 poke fun and just you know either apologize or you know say okay you need to leave or you know those are fighting words or whatever it might be. And this is grown adults here you know laughing about something um, of one uh, of one person's identification with a certain team. And it's it all happens because it's neutral ground and allows us to kind of step away from the day to day and just have fun. The other thing I would say here is there, there's something almost, you know, universal might be, might be a bit of a stretch, but um, you know, there's lots of different things that can galvanize a relationship, right? Mm-hmm. Like we might be both interested in the same thing. I live in Los Angeles. I like to surf right now. I, I can talk to people at the beach about surfing. Right. And I've got some friendships that are, that are kind of predicated upon the idea of going surfing together. Right. But if I land in a bar in Indianapolis, I'm probably not going to encounter a lot of surfers, right? But the fact that I'm an NFL fan means that if you put me in any bar in the country, the chances of me being able to strike up a conversation with a perfect stranger because of the NFL are incredibly high, much mm-hmm. higher than anything else that I could be a quote-unquote fan of. And so there's this sense that no matter where we go, this stuff travels, right? And even to go back to that idea of universality, you know, Lionel Messi just won the World Cup. You could put me in a taxi cab, provided I can like communicate enough with a taxi driver in Shanghai, Sao Paulo, <laughs> Stockholm, yeah. St. Louis, and I can have a conversation about Lionel Messi winning the World Cup. There is nothing else that transcends borders like that. Mm-hmm. And so that ability means that it, all of a sudden we have this, this thing, this like superpower uh, that can create social connection, create con- conversation, can create interaction that we, that we just have, have in our back pocket at all times. And that's not true of other things that we might be interested in. Um, even though those things can, you know, in an individual way, kind of create an, a, a relationship. Now we're entering a new era of sports because of daily fantasy and sports betting. I mean, everyone gives you advice like bet with your head and not with your heart and things like that. How has daily fantasy and especially sports betting affected being a fan? Did you did you see any differences in this new way of approaching sports? I mean, all of these activities that we do to engage our, our fandom, um, ultimately pull us deeper into, into our fandom. Uh, but because they create the space and the opportunity for social interaction, right? Mm-hmm. So if yeah. you think about betting or daily fantasy or being in a fantasy league, like a season-long fantasy league, um, all of those, those different activities, they create the space for, for connection. And that incentivizes us to pay more attention to the sports, but also to do more of the activity in, in question, right? So just as a couple personal examples, I'm in a fantasy league with a bunch of college buddies for the NFL. Now you could think of that as like this juvenile thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, certainly like a lot of our wives will kind of make fun of the fact that we're <laughs> going to go away some, some weekend in August and do a fantasy draft in person. Right. Um, but the, the fact of the matter is I would not see those people if it wasn't for that, that reason to get together in August. And I would not talk to them nearly as much as if I didn't have this, if I, if I didn't have this, this kind of weekly uh, occurrence where we're going to get together and talk trash and, uh, you know, talk about games and those sorts of things, right? That fantasy league in and of itself is worth conservatively 300 text messages in a given weekend, sure, right? Sure. Um, that those wouldn't happen otherwise. Now it turns out like the, like the, the subject matter of those, of those conversations is generally just about sports, right? It, it's, it's not important. It's not like deep and profound. We're not talking about our, our feelings and our relationships, but those connections wouldn't happen otherwise. And as it turns out, if you dig into the science around socializing, those connections are really, really important to our well-being. That, that's the argument that we, that we would make here is all this stuff is actually good for you because it inspires these, these interactions, it inspires these connections, and it deepens these relationships. Being a sports better, like anyone who bets on sports, you can presume that's a good signal that they're more engaged sports fans. As a gaming attorney, I'm always in a casino or in a sports book and doing meetings and things like that. But I'm starting to see what Greg Armstrong experienced at the Garden. I'm starting to see regulars at the sports book. They know the other betters. They know the waitresses, the bartenders. They know the people behind the window taking bets. So it, it looks like you're just taking the experience that Greg had at the Garden and taking it to the sports book. Yep, that's exactly it. And we know that if you're doing that more, it's pulling you in more. Mm-hmm. You have that that sports book experience, but you know, ask a better about you know what they think about the Super Bowl line. Yeah, they'll talk. Right? They, yeah. they'll, it starts a conversation. A complete stranger, you could have an hour conversation about uh, the lines for the Super Bowl, and 
And that's, you know, just in terms of as a human level, on a human level, we want to connect with other people. And those types of, you know, as a better, you are now empowered to have deeper conversations, whether it's somebody who is a better and can, you know, can talk back and forth, or if he's just talking about the Eagles and mm -hmm. thoughts on the Eagles, um, you know, th th that gives you a lot of social capital to use out there. You know, one of the concepts in your book that I loved reading about and that I found very fascinating was the fandom flywheel. What is that and how did that concept really guide your research in the book? Well, the, the, that's a perfect segue into this, mm -hmm. this, this topic because we were just talking about these activities yep. that fans do that pull them deeper into, into their fandom. So the, the basic principle of a flywheel is you have uh, one, one action that begets another action that, in, that then leads to, the, the, to, the, to the, the first action. So you have X, an X variable and a Y variable. Doing X leads to Y. Doing Y leads to X. Mm -hmm. And then that creates positive energy. And fandom, that's how fandom works, right? Yeah. Um, so you lean into your, your fandom, right? You go to a game. You watch some games. You join a fantasy league. You lay some sports bets, whatever it is. The, the payoff of, of that activity tends to be increased social interaction, right? Mm-hmm. That tends to be positive, yeah. and it incentivizes more fan activity, right? Which only then leads to more positive social interaction, which incentivizes more fan activity, which then – and so all of a sudden, the, the, the flywheel starts to spin, and it generates energy. This is how fandom works. You're kind of socialized into it. You know, it can be slow, sort of slowly over time, um, but, th but that's really what's, what's going on here. We're going to break down how fans become fans. It's that. It's, you kind of lean into this thing. Your dad takes you to a game. You talk about it with your buddies at school. You start to watch the game on the weekend. You talk more about it with your buddies at school. You hang out with your dad and you, and you, you know, watch with him. And all of this stuff is kind of positive. And, and this, this kind of positively reinforces this, this fan behavior with social interactions to the point where your social networks are, are kind of galvanized, predicated, anchored by sports. And, then that, and that's really why you're, why you're in the business of being a fan at all. I, I love your discussion about the five wellness markers and how being a fan really affects that. Th those markers are happiness, satisfaction, optimism, gratitude, and confidence. Talk a little bit about that. How does being a fan impact those wellness markers in a person's life? Yeah, but go ahead, Ben, if you want. No, this, 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 this one's like, it, it's fairly straightforward. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's funny, like we, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about the, the social benefits of, of fandom. Um, and in terms of, you know, fans have more friends and we understand, as I just said, like, this is how fandom works. It's really a, kind of like this play between engaging as a fan and then getting the positive social feedback and those interactions. Um, we, we, you know, we're interested in that as, in terms of how it generates fandom and how fans become fans and stay fans. Uh, but then we started to read more and more about sort of the, the, the kind of the social science of, of social connection, right? Yep. And the, 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 the happiness, like all those wellness markers come out of that, right? Mm -hmm. Basically, people study social connection and they find that people that are more connected socially tend to be happier, more satisfied, more grateful, more confident, more optimistic, right? And so it just stands to reason that if fans have more friends and friends lead to those things, then fans are going to enjoy those benefits. And what we've done is just put that into surveys and, and sort of proved it out across tens of thousands of, of respondents at this point. Um, and, and so that's, again, that kind of changed our, our mission from unlocking, you know, the, the kind of underpinnings of fan behavior to advocating, evangelizing for fandom. Because, we, you know, we read a lot about the crises of, of loneliness, right? Yeah. Specifically when it comes to teens uh, or male middle-aged loneliness and the, the difficulty of making adult friends and, and all that kind of stuff. And, and what we see is like there's this crisis of loneliness happening and we have this thing on the other hand, fandom that creates belonging. And so we want to try and connect those dots and say, well, if this, this, this bad thing is out there, the antidote to loneliness is fandom because fandom creates belonging. That, that was a very interesting discussion you had, mainly for the reason I did not know UCLA had a loneliness scale until I read your book. So thank you for bringing that to my attention. But one of the, uh, the big crisis, I guess, in every sports fan life, as along with everyone else in the world, was the COVID pandemic that hit. And I was absolutely fascinated with your discussion on how sports fans handled not only their sports being gone, but their attitudes toward the pandemic protocols and even the vaccines. What did your research find out about how fandom affected people during the pandemic? 
Yeah, so we, we once the pandemic hit and sports were canceled, you know, just as researchers, we were just curious as to, well, how are fans feeling? And we, we, we kind of knew the answer there, but we want to put it, uh, uh, understand it quantitatively. And, you know, with that at the time, you know, as we remember, there was a lot of debate as to attitudes about mask wearing and social distancing and, and all the kind of the hysteria that was created um, in, a, in a deeply divided country. And so we, we put that out there seeing kind of what, what are the fans' attitudes towards, towards those aspects around COVID. And what we are, I'm immediately surprised by this. And, you know, we shouldn't have been, but mm-hmm. we're still surprised by just by the nature of a, this had nothing to do with sports. This was all in the kind of realm of our kind of polarized world. And what we saw was the more engaged fan you are, um, the more likely you were to adhere to the, to the COVID protocols of the time of April 2020. And we're just scratching our head as to like, well, what's going on? And then, so as, as we you know, knew in, in public polling that there was a divide between Democrats and Republicans. Uh, Democrats are more likely to follow those protocols, uh, Republicans less likely. And so we split our, our, um, our, our, our data set out by Republicans and Democrats. And what we saw within Republicans, the bigger fan you were, the more likely you were to follow the programs, more likely you were to wear a mask and social distance. Um, same held true for, uh, for, for Democrats. The baseline was different. The starting point was different. The, the Republicans were lower, but it moved. And mm-hmm. we, we were fascinated by it, I, I think. And that started us on a, a, a journey thinking here, because you know, everything we've talked about till now is like, it's great and it's good. And it's all, all the benefits of social connection. And you could get that social connection through, through various means. But you know, where this is heading here is the scale of sports actually impacts things in a way that it softens some of those, you know, hardened edges of pol- edges of polarization that mm-hmm. we see. So, you know, in this case, we saw kind of Republicans were more hardened towards some of those protocols, and we saw a softening um, in, in the data. And then we began polling further around COVID as it, it uh, uh, later as COVID went on, and then as vaccines became available, the same trends: the bigger fan, the more likely um, you were to get a vaccine. Stick around; we'll be right back with House of Cards. The sports betting community is back live in New Jersey at the Meadowlands Expo Center this May 9th through the 11th with the SBC Summit North America. For three days, SBC Summit North America brings together exhibitors, world-class hospitality, and the very best networking and business opportunities to some of the most exclusive venues in New York and New Jersey. With panels and events on investment, marketing, regulation, and many more relevant topics to the sports betting industry, the SBC Summit North America provides an experience second to none. The SBC Summit North America is brought to you by the SBC, the largest media network in the sports betting industry. Join over 2,500 delegates, 200 speakers, and more than 50 exhibitors at SBC Summit North America, May 9th through the 11th at the Meadowlands Expo Center, New Jersey. Head over to sbcevents.com for more information on this year's conference and register today. SBC Summit North America, brought to you by the SBC, the largest media network in the sports betting industry. Don't miss out on the largest dedicated sports betting trade show in the world. Attention, if you owe back taxes to the IRS, the IRS is cracking down by hiring 87,000 new agents to garnish your paycheck and put liens on homes and businesses. They can even seize your bank account. The IRS calls it enforced compliance, and now they have the manpower to get you. Penalties and interest on unpaid taxes compound daily. So call One Stop Tax Relief Shop and get the IRS off your back. They're experts in the Fresh Start Initiative, one of the biggest breaks the IRS has ever offered. Call 800-353-2174. 800-353-2174. One Stop Tax Relief has resolved thousands of cases since 2014 and saved clients millions of dollars. Call now for a free consultation. Get the IRS off your back. Call 800-353-2174. 800-353-2174. If you don't have final expense life insurance, this message is for you. 
LifeCare provides valuable information about whole life insurance to help cover final expenses, medical bills, burial costs, and other final expenses. A final expense life insurance policy is fast and available to anyone between the ages of 50 and 80. No medical exam, no lengthy questionnaires, and no waiting period. Just answer a few questions and we'll do the rest. With the average funeral costing $9,420 and Social Security only paying $255, you need simple peace of mind for you and your whole family. Don't leave behind unpaid expenses. Your premium will never increase. Your policy will have a cash value and a death benefit that can never decrease. To find out how you can get final expense life insurance with a lifetime lock, call LifeCare at 800-459-8822. That's 800-459-8822. You're listening to the House of Cards. Why, you cheap crook, stealing a baby's bank. It's only a lend-lease. I figured a bet on the 50-to-1 shot and double the baby's money. Why, you imbecile. Why don't you pick a 100-to-1 shot and triple it? Oh, okay. Welcome back to House of Cards. Dave Weishaw with you. House of Cards is brought to you by BetMGM Casino. Play your favorite casino games at BetMGM Online Casino. Slots, table games, live dealer games, everything you love about Atlantic City and Vegas, all online at BetMGM. Go to BetMGM Casino, create an account using our promo code TURNPIKE, and become a verified player. New players get $25 free when signing up, plus a first deposit bonus up to $1,000. That's promo code TURNPIKE at BetMGM.com for a 100% deposit match up to $1,000 plus $25 free. Must be 21 years or older to place a bet. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. For those of you just joining us, I am talking with Ben Valenta and David Sikoriak, authors of the book, Fans Have More Friends. Does that extend to other social issues? I mean, how does being a fan affect your view on social issues? Does, you know, being a bigger fan really make you accepting of certain issues that non-sports fans would feel hardened about? It, it's not so much that it's social because there are certain social issues that we write about that actually um, that, that are impacted mm-hmm. by this. You know, when we when we talk about polarization, really the problem that we have there is like not that we have different political beliefs. Different political beliefs are actually kind of healthy. We can debate it and we can resolve those things and you know and, and chart a, a better path forward. The problem we have is we hate each other. Uh, yeah. the, the two sides feel like the other side is the mortal enemy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of in, in political science that we began exploring here that that shows that kind of the the uh, the the anger, the, the the sentiment towards the other side has just gotten worse and worse and worse. And that's because we have kind of uh, decamped into separate worlds. We live in different neighborhoods. We live in different parts of the country. Uh, we uh, whether we're educated or not, or we, we go to different we, we worship uh, at, at different places. And we have created two separate worlds. And as what the social science teaches us about this is, as you kind of get further separated, um, the anger, the hate for the other side um, increases. So there's something in political science that has been used for years is called a feeling thermometer. Um, It's a zero to 100 scale. You put into surveys and ask people how um, how hot or cold do you feel towards Republicans? Mm-hmm. And you, you put in zero to 100 and on your feelings, whether they're positive or negative. And then same thing you do for Democrats. And, you know, so, so obviously, you know, in our times now, Democrats feel very cold towards um, Republicans and Republicans feel very cold towards Democrats. We were intrigued by this to see how this would work um, uh, among sports fans. And mm-hmm. what we found was the more engaged of a sports fan you are, the bigger fan that you are, the, if you're a Republican, the warmer your feelings would be towards Democrats Interesting. and vice versa. The bigger fan you are as a Democrat, the warmer your feelings would be towards Republicans. And it's still cold. It's still on the cold side of the mm-hmm. spectrum. But when you study, we, you know, we talked about polarization in the country and kind of where we're headed. And it feels like, you know, it for speaking for myself is like it left me depressed as to kind of the state of uh, things in this country. And. There was movement. There was positive movement. And we saw that consistently, um, that there's this positive movement um, 
in terms of how engaged of a sports fan you are and kind of softening some of those edges um, that, that are driving us. And we felt like as everything we talked about till now is great, but in terms of, and we, we should do more of it, but this is all a byproduct of the socialization that is happening. As a sports fan, you are interacting with people that are different than you. You know, I did a, um, I, I, I did a, a piece recently for um, a TV network on uh, at uh, Eagles Giants tailgate where we talked about sports, uh, <laughs> being a sports fan and how it softens polarization. And we were, you know, the, the TV crew was going around the, the tailgate. Um, they are asking them about this stuff. And it was so, like such a lovely environment. And, you know, I, as, a, as a New Yorker and, you know, you sometimes have uh, negative feelings towards Philly or whatever. And mm-hmm. like, these people were lovely and there were all sorts of people in there and they were interacting and they were, you know, celebrating the Eagles and, and life and, and everything there. And none of that kind of tension, because there there's Republicans and Democrats in there, but on the Sunday after Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon, heading into the game, you are there interacting and rubbing shoulders with other people. And that is the, where we see the softening effect, the kind of warmer feelings happening. That's why it's happening because you are out of your bubble and sports kind of breaks that bubble and brings you together. I'm glad you brought that up because reading your book, it really hit home in my situation. I I live dead smack in the center of New Jersey. I mean, I, and let's take the NFL as an example. I'm a Philadelphia Eagles fan, and a portion of my family are Philadelphia Eagles fans. But also in my family, in my own household, I have New York Jet fans. Uh, but the majority of my family are New York Giant fans. And I, I myself try to keep up on all the teams because, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas, I'd like to talk to them, and this is what we talk about. And, and everyone gets along because given the location of the country we live in, you have to learn to exist with fans of other teams. What did you find in terms of fandom and strengthening family bonds? Well, much like, you know, what we've been talking about with uh, friendships. I mean, it all effectively applies to families. Yeah. And so, you know, where fans have more friends and they interact with those people more frequently and they value those relationships more, the same is also true of family relationships. So fans interact with their families, their mothers, their fathers, their siblings uh, more. They value those relationships more. And so I think that that like all of this stuff kind of plays into the same um, uh, into the same idea. If you want to stimulate those relationships, fandom is the thing that can help uh, sustain the, the the interactions that will lead to deepening those those ties. And so you know one thing that we've uh, been exploring a lot lately is this how this applies to you know sort of parenting, mm-hmm. right? Like like we think a lot about both both Dave and I are, are parents of young kids and. Um, you know, my kids are still a little too young, but Dave's kind of taken up the mantle of like the little league coach, right? Yeah. And making sure that we're, we're imparting this thing, this, this fandom thing as a tool specifically for socializing, mm-hmm. right? And, and not just to deepen the relationship that we have with our, with our kids, but also to give, to impart that tool to them that they can then use in the world as they, as they grow. Because we see, um, you know, we, we recently did some polling among 13 to 17 year olds um, and we asked a lot of the same questions and we saw a lot of the same results. Um, so, so teens who are fans have more friends and report being uh, happier and they seem to, to, to feel more confident about how they're doing in school. Um, and, and so there is this, this kind of correlation that kind of trickles down from, from adults on through, through teens. But I think in part because they're, they're leveraging this tool to create socializing. And, and ultimately, like, I think the, the big headline here is, hey, socializing is good for us. Like, yeah. we, we are pro-connecting. And, and <laughs> not that there's a, an anti-connection uh, stance out there but i think that that really this is this you know it's almost like less to do with fandom and more to do with connection and recognizing that connection is really really important and we need to find ways to connect with other people and and it just so happens that, that sports and fandom is is one of the one of the easiest ways to to generate more connection in the world easiest and fun and less controversial mm-hmm. right so your your thanksgiving is much better talking yeah. eagles yeah. jets and giants no i i than- I about a host of other things. As much as I hate it, I read up on the Jets so I can talk to my family members, and I read up on the Giants, and you know, so uh, no controversy at Thanksgiving or Christmas for me. But um, Ben, yeah, that, that's just it. I mean, that's the perfect example. Like you, you yeah. and you know, maybe before reading the book, you're sort of doing that subconsciously. Mm-hmm. Like you know, you're going to have an interaction with people who are you know Giants fans, and so you're kind of reading up on the Giants because you know that the conversation is going to naturally just kind of gravitate to to the Giants. And the, the more well-versed you are on that particular topic, the more takes you have on, on the Giants roster and Daniel Jones and 
you know, day ball and the whole, the whole thing, like the, the, the more, the easier those conversations are going to be, the more you're going to get out of those conversations. Um, and, and so that's why you do it. And, and so we see that, you know, coming back to the, like the flywheel and all of these ideas we touched on, like that's the perfect example that kind of illustrates a lot of these things happening just subconsciously. Like you're just kind of doing it because you know, it's going to facilitate these interactions and you recognize that the interactions are really the thing that we're, that we're all after. You know, I have an example in going in the other direction. I have an 81-year-old father that doesn't watch a lot of baseball because he insists his baseball team was taken away from him. He was a big Brooklyn Dodger fan, so he, so his goes the other way. He might skew your uh, results a little bit. But, um, but uh, Ben and David, we're running out of time, and there's so much more I'd love to ask you about. I have a whole pile of notes that I didn't even get to uh, before you. But, but can you tell people how they can pick up a copy of your great book, Fans Have More Friends, and is there a website that you'd like to send people to well you can go to the website fans have more friends, uh, com for more information and you can buy the book anywhere you buy books mm-hmm. um certainly available on, on amazon uh target barnes and noble indie indie shop um and so some of your and if you if you have a local bookstore we're big fans of local bookstores uh if they don't have it on the shelves go in and request it and uh they'll be sure to order for you and get you a copy Ben Valenta and David Sikoriak, authors of the book Fans Have More Friends, thanks so much for coming on and talking about this fascinating book. It's such an interesting topic that I don't think has ever been dealt with as you two have. I encourage anyone who consider themselves a sports fan to pick it up because it's really great. Guys, thanks so much for coming on. Oh, thanks for having thanks us. For us. Well, that'll do it for us this week. We'll see you next time on the radio with House of Cards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.